What in your eyes is one misconception about coaching or, or being a coach? Dude, that is such a good question. I've not been asked that before. I'm so happy that I get to answer that. Welcome to Footy Fellas. Welcome, welcome to Footy Fellas. Welcome to Footy Fellas, coming at you from Chicago and Minnesota. We're going to be talking soccer, talking life, playing games, playing mind games. We got a little something for you. If you haven't yet, throw us a follow on Instagram at Footy Fellas Pod. That's F O O T Y Fellas Pod on Instagram. Pretty crazy times in the world right now, and winter, obviously, even more so for you being in Minnesota currently. How are you doing? How are you feeling? I know we've chatted a little bit uh, earlier amongst all of us, but would love to get a sense of your, uh, you know, your your surroundings in Minnesota currently. Yeah, it has been uh, a, a wild week here in Minnesota, Minneapolis specifically, um, where I live. Uh, I'm sure you know everyone, folks listening, have have seen images on TV. It's it, it hurts even more to be from the city and to see the, the destruction of, of the buildings and the community. Um, but on the bright side, something that's been positive is uh, you, you get a sense of a, you get the sense of community at large and folks coming together. I've been involved in some cleanups earlier in the week to pick up some of the, the broken glass from small businesses and, and shops kind of at the epicenter of the destruction. And earlier today, as I was saying to you guys, uh, I was helping out for food and other supplies and donations coming in for community members most at risk. Um, and the reason being, even though they weren't maybe struck by the destruction or you know their housing wasn't destroyed, thank God, um, a lot of the grocery stores in the city have been forced to shut down due to the violence. So it makes, you know, finding and buying diapers or um, other products and especially food difficult. So a lot of people are, are donating what they can. So that's been really nice to see for sure. That's awesome that you've been volunteering and at least helping out in that way. Um, playing your part as a citizen in the, in the community. Yeah, it's been good. It's been it's been nice. It's been really great to to get the sense that people are are in are in for this. Uh, you know, we want change. You know, our, our city our city can be better for sure. I think we're all starting to realize that we're all the city's made up of good people. The state's made up of good people, and I think I think we'll come out of this stronger for sure. Uh, a recent development. I don't know if you guys have heard. This is going to obviously date the episode recording, but they just they just now assigned the attorney general, Keith Ellison, to be in charge of the case, uh, taking it out of the hands of the Hennepin County District Attorney, Mike Freeman, who, in my opinion, wasn't doing a very great job. Um, So we're hoping that the demands from the citizens and the protesters here, all of us here who want all four of the police members who, who killed George Floyd to be arrested. So hopefully that'll be, that'll be coming soon. That's, 
it's, it's, uh, I think any, any news in this subject is just, it gets tougher and tougher to deal with every day. And it's another physical reminder to see things, um, destroyed, um, crippled. Um, they all, they, they all serve as painful reminders of where we are as a society, who we are as people, where we're trying to go and, and, and the uphill climb we kind of all have to take. Um, you know, it, I, <clears throat> I feel like it, for people who may not have access to physical, um, um, uh, acts that they can make such as going to, um, clean up streets or help businesses. Um, uh, there, uh, there are a lot of people who are able to donate online. Um, and so, you know, um, I've seen many different, um, links to organizations, be it those who are helping, um, fund for bail, uh, people who are funding, uh, organizations that collaborate and bring together voices, um, or help, um, uh, break down systemic racism and operations. Um, there are a lot of, there's a lot of good that can be done for those who physically may not be able to get out and about, um, which we will share of course, um, with, with the pod and, and any links for anyone else who wants to contribute. Um, yeah, this is obviously more important than anything we're here to talk about, but we are passionate about soccer. We love bantering with each other and that's what we're going to do a bit of today and hope you'll join us for the ride as always, as one of, one of our, uh, very much appreciated FOFs. Should we get into some? Should we get into some storylines? I know Max and I watched a, a game this morning, a little bit of a game, the the Dortmund game that was happening. Um, might might have a storyline from there, might not. Let's uh, let's hear what you got, Jones. Yeah, it would suck if I didn't. It was a hell that I really played it up. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll make up a story from the game if you don't have one. The um, uh, I think I think the main storylines coming from the Bundesliga, at least from an American perspective, and, and what we kind of support on this pod. Um, was the rec- recognition of George Floyd um, and uh, and the ripple effect that um, the past couple days has had, not only in the U.S. but but internationally. Weston McKinney uh, of Schalke, American center mid, um, uh, bright bright future, uh, supported an armband representing staying strong for uh, uh, George uh, Floyd. Um, Jaden Sancho, uh, a guy who now has even more love from me as I'm trying to lure him into Man United, playing for Dortmund after he scored one of his three goals um, today, uh, lifted his shirt to show um, another support for George Floyd. Um, there were other players in the league who also did the same. Um, I think uh, the storyline internationally right now is is that um, – uh, the world is hurting. Um, it's not just Minnesota. It's not Chicago. It's it's a little bit of everywhere. As we look forward to the next few weeks, um, is a smorgasbord because there's no other word for it of soccer coming our way, and that's um, thanks in part to the EPL, which confirmed earlier this week that they will indeed be coming back. Um, games are set to start Sunday, June 17th rounding out the postponed games from game week 29. So that's going to be inclusive of Man City versus Arsenal and Villa versus Sheffield. And then game week 30 will begin on June 19th through the 21st. 
Um, games are proposed to run back to back to back with starting times ranging from 7.30 a.m. Eastern through 3 p.m. Eastern. Um, super excited for that. Uh, there's going to be an onslaught of content for us to consume. Uh, I can only imagine how many plans. Oh, I don't have any. Yeah, but plans I would, I would theoretically <laughs> cancel to watch all of that. You just set up your own joke. Yeah, pretty much. Nice. That's that's, nice. that's how it works in my little bubble. <laughs> I tee myself up, so I slow it, slam it down. Um, uh, and then games, the season is looking to end around uh, uh, end of July, around the 25th. So we're, we're looking at a jam-packed end of the end of the season here. Wow, looking very much forward to it. Thanks, Jones, for that uh, run-through. I didn't realize, I, I guess I hadn't seen any um, spe- specifics about games on these, on those early days. So I appreciate that. Of course. Technically, they haven't listed any of the actual game games proper. So anything beyond Game Week 29, which is the, uh, the City, Arsenal, Villa, Sheffield games, aside from those, none of the other games have been scheduled yet. Um, so that's loosely based. Uh, okay. You know, this could, this this information could be out of date in, in a couple of days. But um, fingers crossed that that I get my uh, marathons every weekend. <laughs> and during the week, they propose games pretty much throughout the week, potentially again, potentially, but further in the future. So we'll see what soccer looks like as we move on. There's also I wanted to share one bit from the Dortmund game today as we were watching Gio Reyna come on and look pretty smooth. The young American 17 year old winger for Dortmund. Um, and he actually played on the same club team as me. I think I might've mentioned that to you before Jones, but I don't know if you know about that. I see he played on New York soccer club and I technically was there at the same time as him, but I was about to go into college and he was whatever in middle school. Um, so at the time I was Probably better than Giorena. I'm not. I'm not even sure. Honestly, maybe I wasn't. <laughs> um, but he definitely, even then, had a lot of attention. And part of it is his his dad, Claudio Arena, was at some of the practices. And you know, he's huge in the soccer community. Um, but even then, you could tell he was a special player. And part of it was his skills on the field, and part of it was the expectation of who he would become. So it's really interesting and exciting to see another great young American player on Dortmund, 17 years old, really promising for the future. That's awesome. I was expecting you to say you sized him up and you, and you were like, this kid's ain't, ain't gonna be anything. You I know? mean, I'm he's, sure, he's, sure. I got in his face him, and told like, him yeah. that <laughs> and said, prove me wrong. And that's maybe I'm the reason I fueled his recent success, right, but that's, right. I didn't want to say that story on air. I'm excited for when he, he, he does someone, he's accepting his, his, uh, Belondo or, and they ask him, you know, who'd you like to thank? And he's like, I like to thank obviously my family i'd like to thank you know maybe he's religious i'd like to thank jesus i'd like to think that that stuck up kid from connecticut stamford yeah i know you eli dude i actually have a funny story similar to your boy uh reyna that i'm blanking on the name i think it was mcquale but he was young he was in he was at minneapolis united definitely a lot of hype his dad had played on um a national team i think in kenya a lot of hype. He was like, he's one of those, you know, kind of felt sorry for him. Dad trained him hard every day. Like, like would do cone drills with him, you know, all this stuff. Very skilled kid. Last I heard he was in Spain playing uh, for, for a club, um, at least on the practice squad. But I was 16, 17. He was invited to practice with our team <laughs> for this training. He must have been 13, whatever. He was nuts. He dangled me so hard and the whole team 
for the rest of the season. Wouldn't let me live it down. Devo to this day brings it up. <laughs> like, dude, how could you get shifted by this 13-year-old kid? I think I got, I think he, he took me one way, nutmegged me. It was just embarrassing. <laughs> take me out. Take me out, coach. Good news is he is playing professionally in Spain. It would have been worse if that was his <laughs> last year in soccer because he just wasn't good enough. Right. Even, even for the U14s, that would have right. been more right. right, right. You you made soccer boring for him, I see. You, you <laughs> thought it was too easy. He's like, all right, Dad, we're getting out of the U.S. <laughs> Definitely out of the <laughs> Kids aren't at my level. With that, we're going to head to our ad break and then come back with our interview with Tim Spencer, a former teammate of mine and a current coach who – give a really interesting, insightful, genuine look into his coaching journey and what it's like coaching in Spain, the values he brings to coaching, and kind of the flow and identity he's trying to build at uh, AD Alcracon, the club that he's currently coaching at. So really awesome chat. Stick around to hear, hear more about that after our sponsor break. You've been stuck in traffic. You've been dragged to your wife's third cousin's wedding at Crest Hill Farms. And you've had to install your tree home, all of which had to take place during your soccer club's game of the week. Without your favorite four-week-old lasagna in a can, you have no way to get some alone time to watch the game. Now you can monitor your favorite game without needing to blow up your local restroom. All you need is your tiny tech bobblehead. Get your favorite player and have a pretty good idea about the score of your game you can't watch. Simply flip the switch on the bottom of the bobblehead and wait for the bobblehead to bobble, indicating a goal has been scored. You still have to guess which team scored, but at least now you will sort of know what the total number of goals are. Get yours today. Hey, it may not be perfect, but if you're at a wedding at a dairy factory, can your life get any worse? <laughs> What was, what was the name of the company again? This is the Tiny Tech Bobblehead. Tiny Tech Bobblehead. It's kind of whack that we're just poo-pooing Crest Hill Farms. I feel like they have uh, immaculate reception areas, but neither here nor there. <laughs> this made me think of like like listening to uh, hockey on the radio, like playoff hockey on the radio, which might be the most stressful thing you can possibly do. <laughs> True. And, and then it's like, you, you have to, like, you're listening to that, but you don't know who scored. <laughs> <laughs> Where they're screaming up and down and they don't even say the names. They just say goal and you're just panicking, kind of sweating and you don't know what's happening. <laughs> Sounds like they need it, a tiny tech bobblehead. Yeah, if they had a tiny tech, they'd, hey, it might, they might be better off. Less stress, maybe? If none of those products made sense to you uh, are FOFs. We, we, we recommend, highly recommend you, you go back in the, in the archives and dig up some of those immaculate, um, immaculate products. Boys, I just had, I just got my dozen supply order of the four week old lasagna. Boys, worked perfectly. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Maddie was going to drag me to this big old family event. I whipped out a can, I took a couple bites. Oh, baby. Game lines get nowhere near me. We got the plumber coming in tomorrow, so we'll take care of that. <laughs> with that, we're going to head to our interview with Tim. Excited to introduce Tim Spencer, a former teammate of myself at New York Soccer Club back in our primes, you might say, and now a soccer coach himself. He played at Skidmore College, where he was also an anthropology major, 
and is now coaching in Spain. Uh, he's also coached in London and in Portland with the Premier Club Soccer Chance Academy and is now in Spain with A.D. Alcarcon Cadet C as an assistant coach. Tim, welcome to the pod, man. Eli, thanks uh, thanks for having me. Some would definitely say that that was our prime and the tape that you had sent me recently does not suggest anything different. That's what I, I was a little worried that sending you that might suggest it wasn't our primes because a couple of errant touches, but <laughs> I will say we were working up and down the field and c- connecting pretty well, connecting pretty well. You on the wing, mm-hmm. me in the middle, back in the, back in the mm-hmm. heyday. I mean, playing at New York Soccer Club out wide was... I think the experience I needed that that allowed me to then play in the middle, which is what I did throughout high school. And then I was a, a holding midfielder and attacking midfielder at Skidmore. But it was definitely that time on the left side at New York Soccer Club that gave me much more confidence to be able to play in the middle. Definitely takes a you know, couple positions, figuring it out as we all are. Did either of you, did either of the Maxes get switched positionally in your career moving from either like high school to club or, or when you played in college, you move around? Definitely. <clears throat> uh, uh, if anything, this is going to be my quick humble brag for everybody here. And it'll be the last time I ever talk about it, hopefully. <laughs> seventh grade um, was trying to go. <laughs> You're going to use your one humble brag to right refer here, back to right seventh here, grade? Right, right here. Yeah, you'll enjoy this. Seventh grade, uh, it's a lesson to us all, too. Maybe we'll come full circle at the end. I'll, I'll try to bring it back. Seventh grade uh, was playing ODP. He was trying to make the state team, and the team was stacked. This is before you know you had academies and stuff, so it was legitimately the best players in the state. And uh, I played center mid at the time, but all of the center mids there uh, were just dope, dope players. They all went on to play D1. Some played professionally now um, for the fire, actually. And, uh, and I needed to get on that team and they didn't have a center back and asked if anyone could play center back. Um, and I said, why not? Like I can, I can play wherever you want me to play coach. Ended up making that team. I, I had a growth spurt in the same summer. So I really grew, got very fast, um, grew all shot up to five foot seven. So, you know, it was massive back there, but, but managed to make it onto the state team, the regional team, and then went to nationals. And so I made it all the way to the national level, all just by, by saying I played center back. Um, then as people grew up, grew and, and I was no longer, uh, relatively tall for my age. I then had to go back to my center mid, uh, position, but, um, I, I initially say, I would say my, my first success was playing as a center back back in the day. That's how, how do I not know this story? story? Yeah. Maybe not well. know you played center back. I, uh, Tim, I, Tim he, probably also, that's new to all of us. I'm assuming unless Tim knew that Tim probably knew <laughs> It's funny. I didn't want to speak during the story, but it sounded all too familiar to me, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, Tim and I, there's something Tim and I actually haven't told you guys. Uh, we go way back. Um, Tim and I, we used to we used to coach with uh, Alcorcon uh, Cadet B um, uh, out in, um, in El Basque Country. But the before, I, guys, I'm really, I'm losing. I'm losing. You're botching right it. Yeah. I'm just how's your Tim? How's your Spanish? And have you either had to or just picked up any any uh, more of the language since you've been out there coaching? I would say that in my first three to four months, as um, someone who was there, not coaching yet, but studying and just trying to integrate into the culture, my Spanish was piss poor, and I really struggled to find opportunities to be challenged enough where the only option was to speak the language or to not speak at all. 
I've found myself in a bunch of comfortable situations where I didn't really have to push myself. But once I started working at Alcorcón as an intern, uh, it, it became a focus in my life. And over a three-month period, I went from like not knowing anything and not being able to speak to players to having like really good conversations and being able to give advice to players. That being said, if you saw me in a bar or you saw me at a club or you saw me um, at a restaurant and tried to speak to me, I wouldn't know what the hell to say to you. But if you asked me how uh, to improve as a footballer, I would be able to talk to you. That's awesome. That's super valuable that you, even if it's just on the field or, or you know, basic conversationally, but that you can actually speak with the, the team and players you're working with. That feels super valuable. Yeah, uh, it was really the only option, you know, because you show up to work and you want to make a difference. And of course, you can give yourself a little grace period to get comfortable. But after a while, and by a while, I mean a week or two, after like, you know, seven or eight sessions, it's like, all right, well, I'm here to, to help and I can't help unless I can communicate. So it's just, you know, taking the time to write out everything that I think I might want to say beforehand or having phrases in a book to be able to pull from. Uh, and it just shows the players that I care. Uh, opposed to me showing up and being like, hey, let me teach you some English things. It's like, no, I'm, I'm here to learn your culture. So, Tim, quick question for myself. Uh, can you explain what the road was like to get to where you were um, and and how you felt when you first got uh, to, uh, to España? Basically, what happened is I, I graduated Skidmore in 2018, uh, and I graduated with uh, I graduated in conjunction with publishing a paper in an online sport journal about Pep Guardiola, his tactics, um, and the culture that he facilitated at Man City. And through doing that, I basically just realized this is really what I care about. This is my skill set. I believe that I can do this. I just gotta, uh, I gotta get to the right place. I gotta go do it. And so I had spent two years earlier, I'd been in Iceland over the summer doing, um, an anthropological research study with a group of researchers and my focus was on football culture. And so I went there and I met with an agent just from like knocking on this guy's door. Cause he lived down the road from where we were staying. It was all by chance. He his, his shot was called total football. And I was like, Oh wow. Like that looks like where I should be. Um, and so I just knocked on his door. I went into the restaurant below and was like, Hey, what, what is that place? Who lives there? And they'd, they'd be like, what do you mean? Like it's a, it's a football agency. I'd be like, great. Like, how can I, how can I get up there? They're like, well, what do you mean? I'm like, all right, well, you're not really being helpful. So I'll just wait outside. And then no one never showed up. And then I went back in and I asked someone else and they were like, Oh, the owner's actually like sitting here having lunch. I was like, well, can you, can you bring me to him? Is that okay? And they were like, yeah, sure. Let me just go ask. And went over. I was like, Hey, I'm a researcher about football. Can we talk? He was like, yep. Met him the next day, talked for like three hours, finishing each other's sentences, saying agreeing on all these football ideals and values to the point where I was like, Hey man, I'm American. Like I'm a dual citizen, but people will identify me as an American. If I know what I'm talking about, can I, can I make it as a coach in Europe? And he's like football. If you can speak football, you'll be fine. Don't worry about where you're from. And so fast forward to me graduating Skidmore, I had all the confidence in the world that I would be able to make it as a coach. Cause I'd gotten that validation from someone in the game alongside like, you know, people close to me. And so I went to London for my spring break and uh, stayed in the Airbnb, stayed with family, went by myself and just walked into, tried to walk into Arsenal, tried to walk into Fulham, tried to walk into Chelsea, to Barnet. Everyone was like, piss off, like you've got no, no badges, nothing. 
And then uh, got connected with a coach on Facebook through a former teammate. He put me in touch with another coach, met for a quick coffee. An hour later, I had a job at an academy in London, which is Soccer Chance. Um, and so when I graduated, I went to London, started working at Soccer Chance. Uh, I did that alongside coaching at Westminster University as a, a head coach of the B team, which was a great experience, unlike all the other ones because of the similarity in age. And uh, worked in London and very quickly got my FA1, my FA2, and became complacent in my role and was like, I can do more. I don't want to be an assistant. The culture here isn't as isn't really what I thought it was. I struggled to agree and identify with the behaviors and decisions of the head coaches. And then they were like, hey, we're expanding. We're creating a new club in America. Uh, and if you went, you know, like you'd be perfect for it. We don't know if that matches your ambition, but, you know, you'd be great for it. And I was like, what do you, all right, give me my own team. I want the U18s. They were like, done, easy. Uh, and so I left in April. Oh, I was there for like 10 months. And uh, I went and coached in Portland for the summer, did some tournaments, trained like three times a week. And I loved my team. I loved my boys. But uh, I was like, this is not where I should be. Um, I'm, I'm not close to the program. I've got no contacts. I'm just out of the loop. And so then I just, you know, as we always do in times of uh, desperation, necessity, I did research. I just couldn't, like, I just figured out an alternative. I found another way, found a master's program in Spain for football coaching that had uh, strong internship possibilities. And I threw Portland away, moved to Spain, got the role without Corcone through pushing and pushing as we always do. Uh, and just, you know, staying active and trying to talk to people and found myself at Alcorcón speaking Spanish to a bunch of young footballers. What wow. a story. That is some perseverance. I loved it. That's great. Did you feel as an American abroad, did it take a while to, to earn some respect? Um, that's a great question. I think that when I got to SCA London, these, these boys that I was coaching 16 to 18, they're guys that have been released from like Chelsea, Liverpool, Arsenal, Spurs, um, and have all the talent in the world, but need help reshifting their focus and are still trying to push on to semi-pro and professional leagues. And so hell yeah, I needed to earn respect from these lads. Like, I mean, the head coaches who are 40 years old, these lads barely respect them. It's a constant battle. You know, the kids in America, they, you show up and they're like, yes, coach, whatever you want, coach, coach, can we warm up coach? Should we do this? They're, they're always looking for the answer from the coach, the boys in England, they, to them, they've got the answers. They've got the talent. I'm only there to, to help them. And so the only way to gain approval there is to from day one, play in sessions and ball out and just take some kids on, show them that like, Hey, I know, I know what I'm doing and I can play better than you, but I'm choosing to coach you. And once you do that and it's, you play with them, they, you know, things go from there. Um, a lot of kids didn't know I was American. They could barely hear it in my voice. And, um, I'm also in that case, I'm also English, you know, both my parents born and raised in London, all my families there were the only family that left. And so, you know, I, I don't see myself as an American abroad. They might've, but got to dispel that quick with my play, you know, <laughs> that feels like a really pivotal mindset difference between youth development and growing up playing soccer here versus in Europe. What do you think is the main cultural difference that causes kids to feel so confident or, or different relative to the coaching they're getting as they're growing up playing 15, 16? Listen, man, this is like such a crucial debate 
And it's something that is so underrated in terms of significance in American uh, culture. People always ask, why isn't the U.S. team good? It's that immediate response. Why isn't the top of the top as high as we want it to be? No one's looking all the way down below. Eli, we were so fortunate. We, we played for New York Soccer Club. And when we were on that team together, I felt like we had a coach that not only cared for us as individuals off the field, but was so fixated on individual development from a skill perspective. He, Ken Pollard is the coach I'm referring to. Ken Pollard, he never went into matches being like, we need to win. It was like, you need to complete X amount of turns. You need to express yourself. You need to hold yourself to a standard that will naturally be so high. We will get the result we want. And if we don't, we don't. That is so rare in this country. The, the biggest difference between cultures abroad and here is just the understanding of the game. And I, and I know that sounds very general. I think the biggest thing is the physicality. You always hear about it, but like I always ask people, would with Andres Iniesta and Luka Modric have been encouraged at the age of seven and eight to play football in the way that they were in their home nations? Would they have been celebrated as bright talents at a young age if they were in America? My answer you know what, if they have a great coach, like we might've had sure, but otherwise absolutely not because they were so small, dude, so frail. They barely, like Andres Iniesta, if you just saw him on the street as in the prime of his career, you could barely guess he was a footballer. And in America, that physical profile is so crucial because if you look at the other sports, the physical profiles are absolutely brilliant. Our athletes are unbelievable. And we find success on the international stage and so when we look to soccer or football and America wants to create their own identity, they want their own style, their style is we're going to be physical. We're going to work super, super hard. We're going to run, run, run. Because part of this American identity is work rate, is effort, which I wholeheartedly support. But I do not support working hard over working smart. And I think that's a big problem here. It comes down to the U.S. teams and, and youth teams and and kind of the whole structure around it is centered on results. And from a very early age, it's all about winning over losing and not so much focusing on player development. Um, and I think you really echoed that right there. Was, um, yeah, it's pretty cool. It, I had never really heard that argument explanation um, expressed before. And I, I, I really do agree. And um well, yeah. I also just I also just want to I also just want to mention because like we're all guys that have participated in college soccer culture as players or people around the game. Um, I think it's important to note that like guys, the, the kids I were coaching were like 16, 17. Right. So if they were in America, you know what they'd be thinking? OK, what school am I going to go to for soccer? And then I'm going to go to this school for soccer and I'm going to have a sick party life and I'm going to play and I'm going to get an education. And then what's going to happen at the very end? I'm going to leave with a good job and a good social network. Do you know what all these 16 and 17 year olds are saying? They just want to play pro, man. No one wants to go to uni. Uni's last resort. In America, when you're an absolute baller at 16, you got like Ivy League schools coming at you, offering you spots. Of course, you're going to look at that. These kids, they're not distracted like that. The game is life. School is separate, you know? So philosophical question to you, Timmy. Can I call you Tim? I'm going to go with Timmy. Tim, I'm going to go either way. <laughs> I'm throwing, throwing it at you. Um, is is the stress, oh, I guess you could, because you can also argue it's like a, it's a, a business, but the the stress of, of 
um, uh, American sport athletes in high school, the stress that we have as a nation to um, uh, have those students grow into or attend university at some point before they uh, continue on with their pro career. Do you think that that should be marveled at as a um, unique and um, uh, powerful statement of the value of education in the U.S.? Um, or should it be seen as a joke or something that perhaps slows the U.S. down from being any more dominant than it could be in athletics? Uh, not to disappoint you, but I do not see it as binary. Um, I don't think it's an either-or situation. I think it's a matter of perspective, like with all things. from There are multiple lenses to look at it through. One of the lenses, as you very wisely put, is that the America gives the opportunity for young athletes who were never interested in playing pro football to use football as a tool for social mobility. Not in the ways that people in other countries do where you can only use football as a tool for social mobility if you make it to the top and make all the money. But as you're saying, you know, gives you the opportunity to attend a good university, to make connections, to find yourself a job afterwards, to support your family. On that end, oh, it's, it's terrific. But... If we're asking why isn't America producing top players, if we're asking why isn't why is American soccer stylistically the way it is, it's also because of that same reason. We're not we're affording players multiple opportunities for growth in society and in sport, and so you might get a ton of really well-rounded individuals in the workplace that understand team dynamics that have understood values of perseverance and dedication and work ethic. And that is very valuable. But if we're talking football, man, it's, it's hurting us. It's definitely hurting us. You, uh, you're starting to pique my interest in, in what you Tim stand for as a coach when, when you're out on the field. Um, uh, do you, let me back up for a second. I, I was fortunate enough to have a, um, a little gig working at my high school, um, as a, as a coach, uh, like assistant soccer coach this past fall. And um, I naturally had an interview and the athletic director asked what were my coaching philosophies or coaching philosophy, should I say, um, to which a little caught a little off guard um, and stumbled through some answers. Is that a common question you might hear? And if so, or if not, either way, how might you describe your own philosophy as a, as a coach? Well, I would say I don't have a philosophy and I don't think a philosophy is necessary. What's necessary are, are principles. The issue that you run with the concept of a coaching philosophy, a playing philosophy, is you lose the dynamic aspect of those ideas and those values. And what I mean by that is if my playing philosophy is a certain formation, if my coaching philosophy is a certain style of communication, then where's the adaptation in that when I switch programs, I switch teams, I switch players? So my principles, first and foremost, are, are treating players as people um, and understanding the value of open communication, divergent questions, and fostering autonomy and belief within the individual. I think we can all speak to the idea, even if some might think it sounds simplistic, we can all relate and, and think about times in our lives where us believing that we had the ability to do it, whether it's a test, whether it's asking a girl out, whether it's dancing at a party, whether it's scoring a penalty, the belief and confidence side of things just cannot be underrated. We've all been at parties 
where you're having a great time and the energy is terrific and then someone comes over and the energy changes and then the rest of your night changes. Performance is the same, man. If I got a bunch of players and I come in and I start barking at them and I start yelling at them, that's that's what I like to call some trickle-down anxiety. They're going to react off what I give them. So if I'm giving them negative energy, it's yes, some players might like that, and that's my job to know that on an individual level. But as a group, man, we're positive no matter what. Everything's a learning process. We're riding the waves. We're, lo- we're using things as lessons. Obviously, from what I've said so far, you can tell I'm not a results-based coach. I'm an objectives-based coach. Um, I think we're striving for something bigger than results. And trust me, if we play the way that we should, results will come. And when it comes to that actual playing, doesn't matter the shape we're in, totally dependent on my players and also what they want and what they feel comfortable with. I'm not in charge in, in, in the way that we might think leaders are, um, players opinions are absolutely vital, but the playing style, man, like I, I want the ball at the feet. I want us to play. I want us to dominate because for every coach that says my players aren't good enough, I ask, have you given them the time to get good enough? Have you just beat it into them in training? Yo, you can do this. We will do this to the point where like we do Rondo on day one and they can only complete five passes in a row. Hey, no problem. It's day one. But by day four, we're going to have 10 in a row. And then by day seven, we're going to have 20 in a row. And that right there, that's all they need to be able to believe in that style. Um, So we're playing possession, man. We're expressing ourselves. That's what this game is all about. It's about the love, the joy, the expression, um, and the experience with your teammates. So we're trusting each other no matter what. We're ride or die for each other no matter what. Man, I want you as my coach. (laughs) You're telling me all I I need to do to get Tim Spencer as my coach is move to Spain and (laughs) maybe throw on a disguise. And, and get my Spanish back, you know, revive my Spanish. And then that's it. I could be on your team. Mm-hmm. You could give him a, you could, you could have him if you're offering like a PhD, I guess. So you got to get him the next level, <laughs> probably the next way you can loop him in. Mm-hmm. Hey, Tim, a question that uh, kind of stems from, from what you were saying. Mm-hmm. What is, so you're, you're the assistant coach right now on your Spanish team. And what if, and have you experienced this yet where a head coach doesn't, believe in the (laughs) same uh, principles as you do, um, or at least has a perhaps an opposite way of approaching things. How is that like as an assistant coach? And what's the, is there tension between, you know, that could build, I imagine, or um, yeah, just if you could explain how, how kind of that dynamic between the coach and the assistant coach. um, Listen, man, that is such a terrific question. That is such a terrific question because I arrived at SCA London under the impression of all of the values that I just described to you, that is the culture at SCA. And I arrived there and I found that the guy that recruited me and that I was working really close with, he he believed all that. The problem was, was that he was also the academic tutor and we, we give these kids schooling. So he's actually never on the training field with me. He's only there with me on game day for the younger team. So I'm with these two other guys who, let me just tell you, are terrific guys, terrific coaches. And they'll tell you, if you ask them this, they'll tell you all the same things that I told you. But then once it starts and the player doesn't give them what they want, everything breaks down. And so what I found there was this refusal of uh, responsibility of like, if the players do something wrong, it's the player's fault. It could be my fault, but it can also be the player's fault. And I don't buy that. I think any shortcomings are the coach's fault because you can never underestimate your influence as a coach. And the way I speak in any given second is going to influence that. 
fast forward to me at El Corcón where I'm really, really trying to fit in. I'm really trying to learn. I'm not trying to be that guy that's like, no, we've, we've got to do this with the kids. It's like, I'm just happy to be here. My style is my style. It's not always right. I found the same thing. Both of the other coaches support the same style that I support. Through me becoming more vocal, they actually ended up supporting it more. They're really good guys. They value my opinion and I love them for that. What I will say is that during training, we can stimulate that. The problem is, and this is what I'm writing about in my thesis, the problem is the breakdown between training and game. And it refers back to trickle down anxiety. Where like what will happen is throughout training, the coaches are so positive. We're encouraging mistakes. We're specifically putting kids in situations to foster different types of decision-making without the kids knowing it. And it, it was, it's beautiful to watch. But when we get to the game, we ask them to play 4-4-2, organize, defend well, and hit long passes. And I'm like, in my head, I'm like, mate, we've just spent the entire week building these absolute ballers. And now we're asking them to not take responsibility. When all week we've been taking responsibility, you can't mix the messages up. You cannot mix the messages up. We need an absolute clear identity for everyone to be able to belong to, no matter who you are, if you play or not. And I don't think we have that with this group yet. Feel that. How, how do you think you get there? What's the What's the next step to building that identity? If you had to, if you had to keep it concise, I feel like you've spoken really well to your values as a coach and. Mm-hmm the way you interact with players, which is really strong. And I think all of us as players would easily be on board with that. And that would help us grow is feeding into that flow and being on the same page, staying confident, but being challenged. But how do you build that identity? That feels like a really crucial piece that is the X factor for so many teams. Dude, I feel like, um, yeah, let me first say, I apologize for my long-winded answers. You guys got me on some, sh- you guys got me on some stuff that I care about. What can that's I say? That's the good stuff, man. Yeah, that's the good stuff. Um, Listen, how do we build that? It's literally what I'm writing about. I think there's so many ways to overcomplicate it and to sound super cool, scientific, intelligent, whatever you want. Listen, man, it's just how you act as a human being. It's like you you just make a decision. This is who I am as a coach, and this is the team that we're building. Everything kind of comes back down to the way that you design the session, I think. Um, you design it so that kids have to make decisions. We don't put them in passing square progressions. We put them in chaos, and we ask them to solve. I feel like uh, I feel like being a coach is is kind of it, it transcends um, the field, right? Like it, mm-hmm. it can be a mentor, it can be a it can be a parent, it can be sometimes just a, a mentor. Um, uh, in in your eyes and what you've heard about coaching, maybe from other coaches, or maybe it's in reading in books or in, you know in just general literature or pop culture. Mm-hmm. What in your eyes is one misconception about coaching or or being a coach? Dude, that is such a good question. I've not been asked that before. I'm so happy that I get to answer that. Um, <laughs> I, dude, I feel like the misconception about coaches is the concept of strategy and tactics across all sports. Um, I think there's this love of the system and there's this the love of the collective. And I think the misconception about coaching is that you're the important one and that the collective is the important one. A team is a set of individuals that form a collective. Man, it is all about the individuals and what the individuals need. Every player is different. Every kid is different. You got to treat everyone different. Um, And I think that's a huge thing that people don't realize. They want to be like, hey, you know, no one's bigger than the team and everyone's going to be like this or we're all going to warm up like this. It's like, dude, you got to design like I'm talking fitness exercises. I'm talking 
finishing exercises, everything must be tailored to the individual, not the group. Um, and I think that gets misunderstood. Beautifully said. Would love to jump into your rankings. <laughs> and I mentioned bringing your mm-hmm. top coaches today because it felt just right hearing from Tim, our authority on the, on the topic, being a coach yourself. Who are the best coaches in the world today? Okay, so uh, I'm going to go top to bottom. Uh, and I don't think that this is, uh, I, I don't think I'll be shocking anyone here. Listen, man, it's 1A, 1B, whatever you want. It's all about what style you prefer. It's Klopp and Pep. Um, not only is the style of play that their teams play absolutely beautiful and uh, engaging, but they treat players as people. They develop real, sustainable, long-lasting relationships with their players as equals that are both helping the unit grow. And it's beautiful to see. And just look at the players and how they look at the manager. It tells you everything. I love those guys, and they're, they're, they really are inspirations on not how to coach, but how to treat people. Um, number three, for me, it's funny because when I asked my friend about, I told my friend that I had to do this ranking, he was like, Oh my God, what are you going to say for number three? There's so many options. I really didn't think there was, (laughs) I really didn't think there was, man. I think any, I think it's so obvious it's Diego Simeone. And I think that, you know, with my first two managers, you could make an argument. People could make an argument. Oh, he's not practical. He likes Pep because he likes this style of football. Well, there's no one more practical than Simeone. The guy's a winner. He has built a unbelievable culture there. It might not be everyone's cup of tea. I don't love their football, but you can't deny that he's created a style of football that has won and that players enjoy. And that's all you can ask for. And I only gave you a top three. That's all I brought. But the one manager I do think it's critical to shout out is Graham Potter at Brighton. Um, he did his thesis in emotional intelligence and the culture he's building at Brighton, whether they come in eighth or 16th, I think it's great, um, that he's getting the opportunity that he is. Graham Potter sighting. Love it. But what do you think non-soccer? So I think about coaches who never smile are very emotionless and it actually really bothers me when I, when I see that, does that give you insight into them as a coach or you think that that is you know that's not the worst thing if something good happens and they're pretty either you know emotionless or maybe even look angry i don't know why that's the case for some of these coaches but does that tell you anything about the coach or is that um just who they are and they might be different in the locker room with the players and whatnot um you guys ask terrific questions listen i've been thinking about that a ton recently uh, maybe not from the perspective of the American guys, but what I've been thinking about is this thing I read for this online uh, athlete psychology course that I'm taking. And what I read in this course was that um, even if, for example, like I'm that positive guy that's always coming around being like, hey, great effort, great cross, blah, blah, blah. Eventually, like that, that gets, that breeds complacency because the player knows every time he does something good, Tim's going to reward him. And so sometimes the player is going to do something great and I'm going to give him a look of like, what do you like? I don't, yeah, no shit. You're supposed to do that. You're a baller. Like, why are you looking at me? You know? So you, you all, you have to change up the message. It can't always be one thing. And to the point you're making of that kind of like emotionless, we saw it in the last dance where like Reggie Miller hits that uh, buzzer beater and uh, Larry Bird is like emotionless. Right. Or you see it uh, like Steve Kerr sometimes or Popovich sometimes great things happen and they don't really react or whatever. I think what that tells you is how high their expectations are for the players and how well they understand what their players need at that moment in time. Because like, again, dude, if a player scores a banger, like 
uh, why would I celebrate? That's what I'm expecting from him. Mm -hmm. And me not celebrating shows him that I expect it. But if I go crazy, that kind of tells him like, damn, he wasn't really expecting that. Yeah, fair. I, I, I love Klopp. I'm a big Liverpool guy and I love his reactions. He gets fired up when, uh, when good things happen. So <laughs> big fan of that. Do you support a club in the Premier League? Mm-hmm, I do. Who do you support? So um, my family club is the club that I support. Um, my grandpa had season tickets up until last year. My family owned a sharehold in the club, which we had to sell back when it went private. I had season tickets when I was there in England. I've been to some finals. I'm very lucky. And uh, if I'm looking at my bed sheets right now, the sheets are this club, and that is Arsenal Football Club. Understandable. Uh, you know what? Actually, I love. Okay, that's great. If you were like any other club, uh, <laughs> it wouldn't yeah, make it wouldn't, shots fired. It wouldn't make sense if I was any other club, given my my style. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Um, uh, I, I I I feel like it's easier to have a conversation with an Arsenal fan these days versus versus someone else who who may have had a little more success recently. So so you're you're at a bit of a humble place, but you also know you have like the best season technically. I know you can go the points route. You can go City with a hundred, whatever you want to do that route. But but you had the undefeated season, so you can still rest on that on that piece. But question to you is. Um, I am a United fan through and through. And so uh, I'm curious from your expert position. And, un- uh, and unbiased. Which and is unbiased, uh, critically unbiased. Uh, should Ole stay or should he go? Before I answer that question, uh, let me just say, I'm so sorry that uh, you're a United supporter. I hope you get through this period well. It's been a rough eight years for you guys, rougher than it's been for us, but that's a separate story. Um, and then... Let me just say now, unbiasedly, let me say, um, yeah, let Ali stay. Because here's the thing is we have an outside perspective. Let's bring it back to the players. If the players are behind him and the players like him, what the fans, the media, the board thinks doesn't matter. If the players feel like they're improving, if the players trust him, let's keep it going. And I always ask, who's the replacement? I Pochettino, he's, he's class. But besides that, there's not a lot of top, top managers in the world right now with a clear identity. And I do feel like that is what United need. All started with you knocking on the door of the total football office. And now mm-hmm. you're ready to work your way up, up the ranks, you know? Hopefully. Love, love to hear it. I'd love to ask you guys something. Um, do you think that the fashion of football coaches is forever stuck to the tracksuit manager or the suit manager? Or do you think that there's room for... Um, new styles to come on board, like kind of like a LeBron courtside style at a Laker game. He's got like the blazer on with the designer hoodie and some tight pants and some nice kicks, for example. I'm going, I'm going full Peaky Blinders for sure. <laughs> yeah, Tim, I think There's... it's, uh, I think it's tough, right? Cause you mentioned LeBron James and I think that the NBA swag, um, is, is really cool and really awesome and respected by American culture. But I don't know if you could, tra- you know, transplant a LeBron outfit or even a Russell Westbrook, but that's, that's pretty wild mm-hmm. outfit and transplanted in, in Europe as a manager. I think you'd have to be a coach that really did a good job at ignoring and funneling out media noise and fan noise. Agreed. Yeah. I also feel like, you, well, you have to be genuine to yourself too. Like if, if you are wearing something unique and different, uh, uh, a la Russell Westbrook or or, or uh, Cam Newton, like you know, 
uh, if it came out of nowhere, like you're gonna you're gonna get something. But if if it is if there's a way you can tie it into your identity as a as a coach and how you you are emblematic of yourself, and then how that's also transferable to your coaching style. Uh, I mean, you're impeachable then. You can wear what you're wearing because it's who you are and who you are is what's gotten you to this stage and the stage of the Champions League final. It's United versus Arsenal. And of course, United wins 5-0. It's an easy stampede. Is it the third one they've won in a row? Yes, but hey, they've owned the 2020s. It's Jaden Sancho running down the side and hitting it into to Greenwood. What do you expect? Martinelli's been out sidelined because uh, he can't even get a role in the starting lineup anymore. <laughs> it's, it's prophetic, but it, it's Max, fashion. Max's <laughs> eyes rolled back into his head, and he looked a lot like... Uh, Brand. Yeah, a lot like Brand, Brand from Game of Thrones. Yeah. That was absolute That was absolute banter. I love that. <laughs> what's your What's your game day outfit, Tim? Um, my game day outfit is, um, as a coach... I, I wear like the gear of the the team, but the kicks that I wear are crucial. And uh, I think uh, Max, what you just said was absolute facts up until the United stuff uh, winning winning some matches. <laughs> but it, what you said was so insightful, which is being true to yourself. And like, listen, man, I, I've worked for some South companies, and I worked for some South companies in college just so I could get some fresh shit. And like, you know, I'm trying to turn up to a game looking good so I can feel good. Uh, and I think that's important. And the last thing I, I will leave you with in terms of uh, gaining players' trusts is the day I turned up to Soccer Chance London wearing a Jordan like Paris hoodie, every single player came up to me and was like, oh, man, Tim looking nice. Damn. Okay, word. Um, <laughs> and once that happens, when I tell them, yo, you better get out onto the pitch now because otherwise I ain't training you. You're late. They're going to listen. That's great. That's great. Well, not going to let you go without shouting out your podcast, The Human Podcast, which everyone should check out. I've listened to a couple and super entertaining. Thanks for coming on, man. It's been uh, it's been good chatting with you. Thanks a bunch, guys. Really appreciate it. Love what you're doing and um, have a good one. Hope you guys continue to stay safe. Thank you, brother. Thanks, Tim. Going to head into our last and critically acclaimed segment, your favorite, Over Under. This week's theme is obscure sports. So we've been talking about soccer. That's not an obscure sport for reference. That is one of the most popular sports. It's actually the most popular sport in the world. We're going to be talking about sports that aren't soccer or football. The first one I want to run run by you and hear whether it's over, underrated, or rated as it should be, icy, is curling. Ooh, curling. I'm very happy that you gave me that one. Underrated, I did go curling when I lived in Madison with my now wife, and uh, it's a blast. It's a great sport. Jones, over or underrated? Badminton. Badminton. It's actually pronounced Benipitin, and Benipitin is underrated. Uh, It's hard to access. The tools you need for it are unique, Um, but it is an electric game of pace and passion and finesse, um, and is strictly played in perfect weather. So that is an underrated subtle sport. So you threw in the weather there to get it underrated. Understood. Icy over underrated Quidditch. Quidditch. Yeah, that, yeah, that's, uh, that's an overrated sport. I see kids playing it. I used to see them playing in college on the, on the quad, on the lawn. Yeah, running around with a broom between your legs. I'm not I'm not having it. I'm not buying it. Overrated. 
Might get some hate mail for that one. <laughs> <laughs> Jones, over underrated. Whirly ball. Whirly ball. Chicago classic. Yes. Uh, uh, it's essentially, it's bumper carts, and then you have like a lacrosse situation. You're throwing a ball into like a hoop. Uh, it is what it sounds. It's rated. It's complicated. And again, very niche things, items you have. Uh, and it costs it costs a little bit of money. So it's it's like, okay, sure. Let's do it. <laughs> All right, whirly ball, I'm in, I guess. It's rated. <laughs> because it's rated. Uh, last few, icy, cheese rolling, or downhill cheese chasing, whichever name you prefer. Oh, yeah, this is... Uh, uh, now, I'm picturing in my head a sport, right? Roll roll the big wheel of cheese down. you got to race the wheel down to the end. And uh, photo finish for a lot of these. You know, that is a very underrated sport as a Midwesterner. Um, it's a fun, fun game. You get hot, sweaty. You might break a bone, but hey, it's fun. Jones, chess boxing. Chess, chess boxing. Chess uh, boxing. I'm gonna, I'm gonna make a lot of assumptions here, and I'm gonna say it's underrated. Who wouldn't want to watch Floyd Mayweather take on uh, Gus Magnuson, Magnuson, whatever his name is? Because that's what it is. Of course, it is a boxer taking on a chess master in boxers on a chess table. Nice. So under you nailed. You guessed right. Okay. You guessed great. right. Don't even nailed if you're it. at home, don't nailed even look it. up what that is because it's uh-huh. what Max said it is. Feeling good. Last two icy wife carrying. Oh, I've seen videos of this. Um, that is for folks who don't know. Maybe not have seen a video. I'm pretty sure. Um, so husband standing upright, woman, <laughs> some is just attached. Usually it's like legs around the neck and like grabbing the legs of the husband it's a very weird position a lot of logistics it's yeah. like a backpack it's like you're it's like the husband's wearing the wife as a backpack kind of and running uh it looks pretty dangerous to be honest i do not trust myself running uh look i'm gonna say it's uh it's probably fun scary it's rated it's what you expect it's surprisingly mainstream i think as well last one jones over or underrated toe wrestling Toe wrestling. Well, you and I do that every night before we go to bed. It is underrated. Uh, there is no sure way to have, uh, f- uh, form a bond with your roommate. Um, I thank you for that, and I thank you for letting me uh, win. I feel like my my big toe is quite accomplished uh, in our in our household. You say you thank me for letting you win because you know my big toe could take your big toe. Let's turn the cameras off. Let's see what's gonna. Let's, let's see what happens. <laughs> no, right let's now. do no, it no, on let's camera. It. No, let's do I, it on I camera. can't because it's it's. I need to. I need to loosen it up a little bit. A little tight. <laughs> and on that note, we are going to wrap this week's episode up. Again, huge thanks to Tim for the awesome interview and insight into the mind of a coach. Check out his podcast, The Human Podcast. Really insightful on different topics, totally aside from from soccer. Uh, if you can follow the Instagram, throw us a follow on other social, Twitter, TikTok, YouTube, basically everything. Follow and subscribe. We really appreciate the listen. And we'll talk to you again next week. Au revoir. Goodbye. to you as you just (laughs) dismiss them each one by one (laughs) yeah i feel like i feel like the conversation is going to be it's going to be brief i i I, um, (laughs) but i'm excited for that i relish the opportunity